0: This is Father Gregory Pine.
1: This is Father Bonaventure Chapman.
0: And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, this episode, we're very delighted to have with us uh, Brian Holdsworth. Uh, so, Brian, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Thanks for having me, Father Gregory. It's great to be here. Hey, cheers. Um. So
0: many of our viewers or many of our listeners listener viewers viewer listeners will have um, you know met you on the internet or come across your content through YouTube or other media channels. but if you would just say a, a word of introduction who you are where you're from what you're doing
2: sure well uh, I think my my bio on whatever social media account you might find me on says something like i'm a struggling thinker i 'm a struggling Catholic thinker, which probably summarizes what it is that I'm doing in the public sphere uh, best i'm 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 a Catholic who's trying to think through the the things that I believe and the experience of what it means to to follow Jesus and to participate in the life of the church. Um, I'm a layperson. I'm a, a strategic communicator, a branding professional. That's that's my trade. So that's sort of the sphere that uh, that I work in. Um, and I'm a father of seven and a, a wife to one, and uh, we live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is probably um, I. I might go out on a limb here and say that it is the coldest major city in the world. I, I'm probably actually, you know, if we have some Muscovians uh, watching your channel, they might disagree, but um, but we're definitely up there. We're we're just on the verge of being up in the Arctic with about a, a million people or so. So um, it breeds a, a hardy, um, rough and blue collar kind of personality up here, which I don't fit in very well to that demographic, unfortunately, but, uh, <laughs> but this is where God has placed me. So here we are. Nice. I once saw
0: Alberta, Canada from Glacier National Park and it looked beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, and certainly the pictures Mm -hmm. that I've seen of Banff and Jasper with electric blue lakes have enticed me, never enticed me enough to undergo. Yeah. The long process of traveling to such climbs, but I hope to at some point, if not in this life, maybe in the heavenly Jerusalem where Alberta, Canada will certainly be present. Um, when we were introducing the, the, the theme of the episode or just kind of sussing out what we might talk about, you suggested this idea of you know, persuasion or rhetoric, and certainly as a mm. professional in the discipline that you described, it's something that um, I'm sure you think about in a deliberate and consistent way. Uh, like what constitutes manipulation? What constitutes genuine invitation? Like these are all huge questions. So I thought maybe we could just start uh, just situated in the context of you know, the gospel, situated in the context of Christian instruction or evangelization or preaching. St. Thomas Aquinas describes four main kinds of preaching. The first would be like charismatic, the announcing of the gospel, which he says pertains to all Christians. Second would be um, kind of more like catechetical, the instruction in the rudiments of the faith and in the you know good reception of the sacraments. He says this pertains especially to the ministers. And then he says there's like moral preaching or moral instruction, which would be true of like parents and godparents. And then there's what he calls holy preaching, which would be the profound mysteries of the faith and uh, like Christian perfection. He says this pertains to bishops, but he's kind of like winking because he thinks that Dominicans have a share in this too. So given, mm. given the lay of the land, when you think about this in terms of like rhetoric and persuasion, where do you see your work falling? Um, where do you think that like we as Christians can improve? I don't know. You just have a lot of a lot of interesting options to explore. So maybe just set us up for a conversation on these themes.
2: Huh. Well, it, it's interesting because when you asked me what topic we, I wanted to discuss, the reason <laughs> I chose that topic is because, one, I've never spoken to a Dominican before. Um uh, so you guys have this sort of mystical like allure that 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 I've never penetrated before. Um but m- the reason why rhetoric is such an interesting topic for me is yes that's that's sort of the art that I work in uh, to some degree so I do give it a lot of thought. But also because that seems to me to be the um the discipline or the gift that is lacking uh most glaringly in the church today. Um, I don't want to say it's 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 absent, but it's absent in a way where it shouldn't be. Um, and you guys are the order of preachers, and um, and so I, I I find it really a, an interesting topic to to kind of focus in on with with you guys to find out what because I I actually am not that familiar with what Saint Thomas has to say about it. I mean, when I think of Saint Thomas, I think of uh, very sort of academic uh, treatment of of subject matter. Um, that often gets recited in the same way right so if mm. even in a debate scenario where we're trying to be as persuasive as possible um you might get a Thomist or a Dominican who says well St Thomas says this in the Summa, and then he'll sort of articulate the the argument in a in a very um intellectually rich way but rhetorically dry way if i can if i can put it that way and i i i mean i'm more curious to hear what you guys have to say about um whether you agree that I th- think that there is a deficiency in, in, in the church as far as rhetoric is concerned and um, what what St. Thomas can offer us, because that's usually my go-to. If someone has has challenged me with something or if I've thought of something where I've, I've kind of riddled myself into a corner and I need to find my way out um, in a way that reconciles my faith, the first thing I'll usually do is Google St. Thomas and the, the particular topic that I'm looking at. So I'm hoping that you guys as experts in St. Thomas can, can help me uh, find my way out of the riddle of the maze of how it is that, that we need to be using rhetoric in, in um, efficient ways and proficient ways, but also um, ethical ways and in and, and ways that are in accord with uh, what it is that we believe in. How, how the tradition of proclaiming um, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection to the world um, situates us.
1: Yeah, I guess Brian, that's a great. I mean, that's it's a great question, and we pr- think about the sort of preachers about you know how we preach our style, you could say. And I think one of the the questions I have is um, when I think about these questions, and I th- and I think you'll be able to to talk about this is, you know, sometimes we think about the truth as like vaccination, preaching as like vaccination. So we have like the truth of the content of of Thomas Aquinas's distinctions and what have you. And then we just have to stick it in, jab it in somehow. And that's like hit the <sighs> mind. Like it's just, you vaccinate the mind with tr- with Thomas's truths. But there's another way you could say actually, no, no, it's, and, and so the question is, how do you get like with a child, you know, how do you get a child to take medicine or take this sort of thing? You kind of sing in a song to the person, you know, Ooh, the airplane's coming in, you know, and that has nothing to do with the medicine, right? The medicine is totally different from the delivery va- mechanism or, and the appeal to the child to, to get this, to do this sort of thing. Right. Because if he knew, if the child knew that this was what he was getting he wouldn't want it and if people knew that they were getting thomas aquinas they might not want it that's okay analogy's limp but at the same <laughs> point the the vehicle and the persuasion and encouragement and the stupid little flying the plane in kind of thing mm. um that is extrinsic to the content of the vitamins the vaccination whatever it might be right
2: yeah, yeah. now
1: i don't think we think that's how we talk about the persuasive aspect, as if it was like a wrapping or a coating or a pleasing taste in the way that like Advil has a a sugary coating to it, whereas generic wall fed doesn't. And so I desire Advil more because it tastes kind of like an M&M as I as I eat it. We think that actually um, part of the persuasion, the attractiveness of the truth is the message, like the message and its attraction are similar. So how mm. if so use my analogy there so the, the extrinsic versus the intrinsic. Now we wouldn't want to say that it's just pure attraction that content doesn't matter. Uh, the other we wouldn't want to do the other extreme. But how do you think in terms of uh, what I'm talking about the extrinsic versus the intrinsic, the relationship between the form or style of presentation of truth and the truth itself, and how do those kind of overlap when you think about these things? Well,
2: I would say. I agree that there's there's something intrinsic to the message and to the to, to the mode in which the uh, the content is is delivered. Um, as as Catholics and I would say presumably classical theists, we um, we believe in this sort of harmony within God, right? So there's this this notion that God is beauty, right? God is truth, and that if we're going to give um, a presentation of the truth it should be done in a way that is attractive to to you know your target audience or your hearers um it should be it should you should be proclaiming beauty simultaneously while proclaiming truth um i don't know if there's any sort of uh division within that that um that is meaningful or any distinction there but uh as philosophers i'm i'm sure that you guys could probably find some distinctions
0: yeah i think um so maybe, maybe just like take this back to a, an everyday experience that we have of hearing the, the truth, you know, uh, proclaimed to us or hearing the gospel proclaimed to us, and then our experience it of, or our experience of it as like rhetorical art or persuasion. And I think that for most of us, the daily bread would be the homily. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people are in agreement that the state of preaching in the church in the 21st century, isn't that great. Maybe it's better than in other ages of the church. And certainly we don't want to fall into like, you know, golden age thinking as Father Bonaventure mm-hmm. likes to repeat, you know, quoting Michel Foucault, there are neither good times nor bad times. They're just perilous times. So now is a perilous preaching time. Um, and whenever a priest criticizes preaching in general, it's, you know, kind of clear that he wants to exempt himself from these things. So I'm just going to go ahead and do this and I'll sound like I sound. Um, but I think that like a lot of preaching that we hear, it doesn't really make an effort uh, at crafting something beautifully. And as a result of which I think that it, it doesn't commend the truth as well. So like a simple kind of rhetorical trick or rhetorical move would be an inclusio. So you introduce a theme at the beginning, you return to that theme at the end, it wraps up the experience Mm. of the homily. So that way you're more likely to retain it, right? It's just like a good, it's a good appeal to the human memory. It corresponds to, you know, the kind of simple desires of the human heart for something neat and orderly. And as a result of which it tends to commend the message better. But instead, what we often get is like, you know, I was sitting in my Barca lounger, you know, drinking a Bud Light the other day, and I thought, oh, I've got a Sunday homily to prepare. So I looked at the first reading, and then I looked at the second reading, and then I looked at the gospel. And after like two and a half minutes of boring genealogy, you're like, sweet Christmas, you know, just like, give me God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I asked my brother once, like, what he does when when preaching, you know, takes place in the church. And he's like, uh, I typically just don't listen. I find it's best for my faith. I was like, wow, savage. Um, so, mm. you know, from your perspective as a, as a, you know, mass going Catholic, from what I recall, you, you attend the extraordinary form of some frequency, so you probably don't hear too much weekday preaching. Uh, but what are the types of things that you are looking for kind of like persuasively, rhetorically in a homily, which you think commends the message mm. and corresponds to the true good and beautiful God who is proclaimed within?
2: Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you situation within the context of homilies, um, for me, what I'm looking for in a homily is typically catechesis. So mm-hmm. I want to learn something that I or, or, or gain some sort of a reflection on uh, obviously the readings that I that I haven't accessed myself. Um, I, I love it when they make reference to fathers or, or to doctors of the church um, to kind of ground us within sort of the, the tradition and, and kind of lead us along and bring that up to, you know, the, the kinds of assumptions that we would bring to the, the readings. That I find to be the, the most helpful. Um, and it's tough for me too, because as you say, I, I do attend, I guess we're still calling it the, the extraordinary form, but I, mm-hmm. I find that per, persuasion is maybe less relevant uh, in that context because your audience is so deeply committed to conversion uh, already. Mm-hmm. But at, at, at larger parishes where you, you get more of a, an open funnel of, of people coming in, um, we need more, we need more rhetoric. We need, we need more strategy in the way that we're communicating, um, to help lead people towards conversion. If they aren't, like I said, themselves, um, very strongly committed to it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I would, I would agree with your brother that, that the quality of preaching, uh, in your, your average Catholic church is, is quite, um, quite inadequate. Um, and, in a time where we need it to be so much better. Uh, we need it to be high quality. We need it to be, to be deliberate. And I, I don't know if, if, if maybe mass is just, I mean, maybe we're just picking on, on, on priests that, that aren't as formed as maybe they could be in, in, in this particular discipline. Um, and we could speculate about why that is, and maybe that's a worthwhile conversation to to have um, about the sort of the formation of priests, the formation, of just school and education in general, um, sort of that old grammar school model to whatever it is that we have now. That that really I think um, creates uh, creates impediments and and sort of a paralysis in, in uh, the art of communication. Certainly, because we we focus so much on STEM, we focus so much on math and science and these kinds of things. Yeah. That for anybody that can string a sentence together today, um, they're often seen as sort of this remarkable unicorn that um, that just doesn't exist anymore and i i would if if I had to guess I would blame that primarily on the way that we're educated these days, whereas historically you know if you went through that sort of that like grammar school model of grammar um, dialectic and then rhetoric, you're going to be the kind of person who is very well equipped to to communicate um, and that's just missing um, across the board today and I don't know if that's something that you know the seminaries can can sort of take at your 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 typical eighteen year old and say okay everything that you've you've been formed in so far is, is, is something that needs to be retooled or just discarded altogether. And then, and then try to inject some of that old model. But it seems that even within the life of the church, we don't seem to appreciate, um, appreciate that, that, that model anymore either. We've kind of adopted the, the, the sort of the, the modern approach to education, um, even in our religious formation. And probably I, you guys could tell me better, but probably in our seminaries as well, from, from what I've seen.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I want to circle back. You mentioned, unfortunately, you mentioned another thing that got me excited. So I want, I also want, I want to give you an option of: Do you want to talk about beauty or business? I wanted to ask you a question about each one, but which do you prefer? Okay. Which you want to talk about first, beauty or business?
2: Well, I'm not a metaphysician, so uh, I mean, I can, I can opine about beauty, but I, I can't give uh, you know, a very thorough treatment of it, but uh, yeah. whatever, whatever you want, all right. whatever Let's you do think do bus- is- Let's
1: do beauty first then, uh, and maybe if okay. I'll get back to the business question strategy. But because um, you mentioned God being beauty and all of this, and I got excited because I'm a Balthasarian and Father Gregory got disexcited, disincited, excited from it, I suppose, <laughs> or la- unexcited from it, but it's fine. We'll bracket transcendental status of beauty and all of this and just say, I think the gospel is beautiful. Uh, and the Christian message is beautiful, and that's why I suspect that the extraordinary form is something that attracts you. So I would say it's not actually unrhetorical there. It's it's it is this sort of thing. And more importantly, is is we want to present the gospel in a beautiful way because it mm-hmm. has intrinsic beauty, as you mentioned to it. It is it is this God is beautiful and has this or beautiful aspect or whatever. And the gospel mm-hmm. is beautiful uh, as a narrative, as a story, as a drama. Blah blah blah. What do we say? But mm. in the modern world, this is interesting. That, in a sense, you know, beauty has to be seen by and met by those who can conceive, perceive beauty. For instance, if yes. I'm, or you know, if I'm doing mathematics, I can talk about calculus and derivatives and all of this and integrals only if the person I'm talking to actually knows something about them. And most, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Well, beauty, you'd think, well, of course, everyone knows what's beautiful. But I think, and catch me if what you think about this is, we live in a deeply ugly world. Yes ugly world we are and that has to be affecting how people what people think is beautiful so in a sense just presenting the gospel as it is beautiful we actually have to teach people what beauty is first and then give them the gospel so it's like Hmm. a two-stage thing but what do you so what do you think about i mean the being beautiful and rhetorical and the kind of drawing people and so even if we were this and we were doing this better what are the other limitations of the fact or do you agree with me that there are limitations in the receivers those who are hearers who don't get a don't I think have a conception of what true beauty moral beauty or physical beauty or whatever it might be what do you think about that
2: yeah i i tend to agree and and you know we can talk about sensory beauty so things that uh, like like music and 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 architecture and the sacred uh, sacred art and these kinds of things that uh, that we we tend to associate the arts with with beauty right but there's also something about the, the content of a message um, that, that can just be attractive uh, uh, intrinsically or naturally, like the, you were alluding to about the gospel. Um, and I would say that there were times in the church's history, uh, especially like the early history, in which to large uh, demographics, large portions of the population, the gospel just needed to be proclaimed, sort of that charisma approach to, to to communication, where they just needed to be given the hope that, you know, you're not... Even if you're poor, even if you're destitute, even if you're a sinner, even if you're a tax collector or a prostitute or any of these sort of categories that will typically disqualify you from um, from noble company, um, God has offered you the gift of salvation and he has offered you a seat at the table of his banquet. Um, God, who is higher than all the other gods and higher than the emperor and higher than any king or principality. Um, That's that's a kind of news that that people were so desperate to hear that you you couldn't keep them um, from from uh, being attracted to it. You know, yeah. um, when Jul- Julian apostates reign, I mean, he was so he was a Roman emperor for for those who are unfamiliar with him, who was raised Christian, but then apostatized, hence his name, and tried to renew and, and rehabilitate uh, paganism within the empire. And but one of the challenges that he was facing is that now that the gospel had been proclaimed to the masses, the masses were so desperate for that message and so willing to adopt it and willing to be accepted within this community, regardless of economic status or or wit or education or attractiveness or whatever. They were just loved because they were human, because they were sons and gods or sons and daughters adopted into sort of the divine life of God, um, that it was naturally attractive to them. But in today's day and age, we're surrounded by a sea of ugliness, like you say, and it's um a, a noisy unavoidable ugliness in in sort of like the music that surrounds us all the time you can't go to the mall you can't go to the dentist you can't sit in an uber without having um industrialized mass produced music um inundating you and 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 mm-hmm. a, you know just just imposing itself on you at all times forming forming you, you. yeah forming
1: certainly, you. certainly
2: certainly conditioning you to be Familiar with that, and for that to be your comfort zone, whether it should be or or not um and I mean that's true of architecture as well you, you walk down the average city street today and you are bombarded by the philosophy of modernism and postmodernism, and those things aren't distinct. people like to try to distinguish between art forms and the philosophy that is the reason those art forms exist, but you can't distinguish them. They are informed by them, they are the manifestation they are the incarnation of those philosophies and that is what is uh, is is descending upon us at all moments so we rarely get glimpses of beauty we rarely get opportunities to to be formed by beauty and then in terms of messaging um, certainly the gospel itself is surrounded on all sides by polemics and has been for hundreds of years now which is sort of an ugly form of rhetoric arguably and uh, maybe that's something i'd want to get your feedback on as well is, Maybe that's something that we need to um, we need to dabble in more as polemics uh, going the other way. I think polemics directed towards something that is good and true and beautiful certainly that's that's an evil. But there are things worthy of outrage and worthy of condemnation in the world today that the church is reluctant to actually employ something like that. Is is reluctant to admonish the sinner? Is reluctant to criticize? Um, instead, preferring. To be friendly, um, which is great, yes, we should be friendly, we should be charitable, but at the same time, uh, our the opponents of the gospel are not doing that, they're not employing those measures. they're taking every opportunity to condemn and to denounce and to frame the gospel in such ugly terms in such sophistic terms and um, such straw man terms that it's 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 like first we have to dispel all of that. We have to try to form people in what is good, true and, and then beautiful on top of it all, and then um, convict them of their need for grace and need for salvation and then explain to them the gospel. And it just seems to me that um, it's such an uphill battle that uh, we. it feels like we need a silver bullet. We need some sort of a wedge to to get in there in a more effective way. And for, for preachers like yourselves... Um, I'm curious to know what, what, what is effective in your experience.
0: Yeah, I have maybe this asked this question by way of transition back to Father Bonaventure's on business, but many of the things that you say eventuate yeah, further thoughts or further questions. I guess one thing is, all right, so I'm thinking about this verse in scripture, that we ought to be innocent as doves and crafty as serpents yeah. or wise as serpents, yep. prudent as serpents. Um, and so, yeah, I'm thinking about your setting, you know, that you have... A set of skills when it comes to digital marketing and branding and stuff like that. And then you have Mm -hmm. um, a Catholic apostolate, which reaches many people. And so like, what, what do those two things have to say to each other? I I had a formative moment early on in whatever, like religious life, where I was talking to another religious, not necessarily, not of our community. And um, he was describing how he was preaching a parish mission. I was like, how do you get people to come to the parish mission? He says, oh, well, I just, you know, I just preach the gospel and who God, who God sends is who God sends. And in my heart of hearts, I said, I hope never to pronounce those words." once in my mm. life, I was like, I'd rather die mm. um, because it just, it sounded like a kind of pious gloss on tacit despair. It was like, yeah, there's yeah. going to be eight yeah. people there wow. and I don't really care because it's really too hard right. to try to get the technical know-how to attract others. But then, yeah. you know, like once you start kind of taking a deep dive into podcast land and YouTube algorithms and you determine like what it is that makes things work. And sometimes it's like the shorter video with the flashier thumbnail, which plays You know, whatever eight second clip when people, you know, kind of slide over it with their thing. And you begin to see that there's, you know, there's a kind of science of this present evil age. And that Mm. if you play into it, you might actually be like corrupting people's sensibilities as you attract them, that the attraction itself is a form of preaching. And so on the other Mm. hand, like, I don't want to just become like a slave to YouTube algorithms, like at the beginning and ending of each episode, we're going to gently encourage people to like, subscribe and do whatever but with the wholehearted expectation that they'll probably be none of those things. And it's totally fine. <laughs> so like in your, in your like kind of understanding, you know, kind of getting, getting back to the, the question of form and matter, but also, you know, transitioning to the zone of the, like the business space, what does it mean to be, you know, like wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove? How, how did like, how does that gain traction?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, in, in my trade, uh, which is something that, you know, there's a bit of a network of, of, of Catholics who, who do what I do. And, and uh, I don't know if you've heard it, there's a group called Catholic creatives, for example, um, who, who, I don't know if this is still their tagline, but their tagline has been something like promoting a new Renaissance within the church, trying to, to promote the, the use of of mediums and the arts and rhetoric and, and music and all of these different th- things to contribute to our ability to, to be the church that was, the kind of church at the time of the Renaissance that was a, a patron of the arts and a patron of effective communication. Um, but simultaneously uh, draw almost all of their strategy and what they would even call beauty from modern the wisdom of modern branding uh, and, and strategic communication, which is... Um, there isn't a more delicate w- or, or, or or more generous way to to put it. It's it's basically sophistry. It's basically persuasion at all costs. Um and and it it goes back to the the war period. So World War One and World War Two, but obviously World War One coming first uh, in a time where, uh, for for the first, well, maybe not not the first, but it, it, in the life of of countries like like Canada and the United States. Um, total warfare was needed in order to attain victory, right? And in order to do that, you have to convince the populace in a liberal democracy to participate in that enterprise, um, who up until that point had been persuaded otherwise because of politics. Um, They were convinced that, um, you know, we're not going to get involved in a European war this time around. Oh, but now we are. And so now we have to to turn them around on that. And how do we do that? Well, we're going to employ things like mass media. We're going to employ things like psychology, we're going to employ things like social peer pressure, um, and then they they apply themselves. and And supposedly, the American military hired hundreds of thousands of artists and poets and songwriters and uh, speechwriters um, to to create this this division within the army to to do to do just that, convince the American public that this war is going to be worth getting into. And after the war. They um, th- these these new these experts in this new art of propaganda um developed what we now know as the modern sort of advertising industry. Um, they all moved to Madison Avenue in New York and started to apply the, this sort of secret mili- military grade psychology and uh, and uh, insight and methodology on an unsuspecting public to convince them to buy stuff that they don't need. Um, and that's what people like myself are formed. And that's the art of persuasion that we are are taught uh, modern branding. And so you get even the professionals who get hired by Episcopal conferences or apostles or otherwise to to how do we how do we become more effective at um, at at proclaiming the gospel at evangelizing uh, and the response and the answer that they get are these these strategies that are 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 based on sophistry, based on sort of this technocratic sophistry um, to produce the effect at all costs that we want. And it's not really well understood by by those who are procuring it and those who are patronizing it within the life of the church. So you might get a bishop or someone who's uh, uh, running an apostolate who hires a marketing firm to do all of their branding. And because modern marketing and and the technology that, that goes into it and these algorithms and all of these things, like you like you allude to father um you 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 could devote yourself to becoming a specialist in just those things um and if you don't it's it's a bit of a black hole so you don't really know what the people you are hiring uh, are offering you but in my experience the the more the more i am acquainted with professionals in in this sphere of influence even the ones who call themselves catholic the more i realize that this isn't um this isn't our tradition of proclaiming um, and that's something that seems to be absent within, you know, the best evangelists in the world today. If we look at the ones, the ones who have, have achieved the most success in, um, in, uh, certainly the internet or the digital age. So we look at somebody like a word on fire who I don't want to detract any of the work that they're doing They're They're the ones who we all look to and we say, okay, yeah, how do we do it? Like they're doing it. If the, if there's a, a wheel that needs to get reinvented on our own and it's just, most of us turn to word on fire and say, how, how did they do it? But at the same time, it feels like, yeah, they've mastered to whatever degree an apostolate can of, of these particular uh, disciplines. But what is an authentic Catholic uh, approach to that in the age that, that that we live in today? And as a branding professional, that's something that I've tried to, I've asked, certainly asked the question. I don't know if I've even approached uh, uh, something like an answer, um, but it's something that I'm, I'm working on and, and trying to, to configure. And, and I, at the very least, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to retreat a little bit away from um, what I can, would consider this, these modern forms of sophistry and, and, and persuasion.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's hit, hit and nailed the, the difference between the proclamation and the propagandization, you know, propaganda versus proclamation. We are, we proclaim the truth. We don't propagandize it, although people think we do, because I think people mistake right. the difference between propaganda and proclamation. Um, so, you know, one question might yeah. be, what's what is how do we work that distinction out in our mind? Yeah. The other thing I thought when you mentioned is is about branding. We are so into branding today, um, and also yeah. it feels good to have your own brand. I mean, every athlete wants to have his own Nike <laughs> brand, sort of thing. And right. we've we've right. got this. We're in a fire. His own brand, as it's own logos. We have God's plan to have our own brand. We've got our merch, yes. kind of this stuff. But the interesting part, of the the dangerous part to me, it seems, with branding, and let me, uh, you can tell me about this, is, is that um, branding is an, an inward or an egocentric move. It seems like the gospel, the point of the gospel is it's pointing to another, something else. It does have a brand, but branding is this kind of look at me when the gospel is supposed to be a look at him, you know, John the Baptist kind of thing, thing. So what, maybe walk, maybe walk through just a moment, um, how you think, can how branding's da- the branding mentality how is dangerous or how we can use it and think the mm. differences are wh- what is christian branding it seems weird to think of christian branding because the one who brands is the one who owns it but we don't own the gospel mm. we're being branded by it in a way so how do sure. you, i mean yeah, how do you think yeah. through that
2: yeah uh, so depending on who you talk to you'll get different definitions about what what branding or what a brand is. And the one that I always uh, find the most satisfying, and it's one that I will employ in my conversations with clients, is a brand is the impression that the outside world has of you or your organization. Um, And right within that definition, there's a pretty big concession, which is that all that matters are impressions, because that's all you can really hope for in this day and age in which there's noise everywhere. We live in a sea of noise. And so the most you can hope for from anyone is that they will, will acquire, you know, an impression among all the impressions, among all the things that are competing for their attention that is as consistent with either the branding that you want to project out there or who or what it is that you actually are. Right. So we're, we're admitting that the modern person, um, is, is, um, surrounded by, um, attempts to, to acquire their attention and that within that sea of noise, that the the most they can do is be satisfied with an impression of all the different things, and then to make decisions based on those. So if we're talking modern, you know, marketplace branding, um, I'm not going to take the the due diligence time to look through every single detergent, every single clothing manufacturer, every single coffee brand, every single whatever it is to determine what's the best one for me to incorporate into my life. Right? Like I just I don't have the time for all of that. Um, so. And they know that. And so they're going to try to persuade us with more subtle, superficial um, qualities like our mascot or a vacuous tagline that that might be persuasive or might seem attractive in in the way that it's a turn of phrase, but really means nothing um, at at all. Or is just a distraction away from um, the actual most important consideration of say the product in question. Is 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 it a good product? Is it the right product for me? Are there ethical concerns with this product? Those are the things they're trying to steer us away from in, in, in favor of a very silly, vacuous, superficial impression of the thing. And so as the church, if we're going to say branding matters, we're saying that all that matters in a way is that impression. You don't need to know the nuance of the richness of the life lived in, in communion with God. You just need to know that we're nice people or something like that. Something that accumulates merely to that. Um, in the face of what they actually need to know in order to be saved and to to come fully alive. And that's one of the big challenges of today is that, again, we're hiring people who are branding professionals. They're professionals in establishing an impression, which maybe that's worthwhile. Like if I'm going to give that the benefit of the doubt and, and sort of try to pump my own tires here a little bit, I might say you have to start at least with that good impression, which will invite them in. And then it's up to you to to make that a good experience as they interact with the product that it, that, that it is that you're, you're offering, right? So if that's the life of the church and the life of discipleship, then it's, okay, let's dispel the bad branding and the bad impressions, offer a decent impression, sort of that superficial facade. And then they'll go, oh, maybe these Christians, maybe there's something to this, maybe this is worth looking into. And then they, they immerse themselves to some degree in the content of what it is that we have to say, or the life of our community, and then discover that, there's far more than just a merely good impression here. There's, there's something beautiful. There's, there's, there's a life to be lived here. Yeah. That's right. Um. That's that's probably the mm-hmm. you know, the sequence that I would I would promote, um, if I was wholly committed to it.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. That's
0: um. Yeah. That's that has me thinking. Uh. As far as like, f- um, people in the Catholic world who do both, you know, the kind of digital branding piece as a profession, and then the content creation, you know, as an apostolate. I mean, I just know of you, and then some of the guys from, you know, Catholic gentlemen. I think you know work for Fuzati mm-hmm. as well. And there's, there's not many oh, yeah. of you. So certainly the the competencies that you have, you could host like a Catholic Media Summit, and uh, you mm-hmm. know have some interesting conversations or host some interesting conversations. But I think I, I think they're, they're conversations that need to be had. In so far as, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a world that can easily swallow you up unless you're cognizant of the fact, or if you're
2: not cognizant of the fact that it aims to swallow you up. Right. Ah. Right. But there's 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 a wisdom that, you know, they do have these kinds of summits. And you know, I've 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 um I've been exposed to to some of those kinds of conversations. And again, the the difficulty for me is that we we keep returning to a reliance upon a philosophy that is not our own, and then shoehorning that into our strategy of evangelization and, and the mission of the church. And I would rather hear uh, Catholics who are professionals in whatever sphere they are, whether it's preaching, whether it's branding, who are looking first at our own philosophy and our own theology and then saying, okay, what is a a unique strategy that emerges out of that? And I think that there are periods within the history of, of our own culture, and this is a cultural question to me um, primarily, because culture is that incarnation of creed. It's that sort of embodiment of creed. And It's very difficult to to use somebody else's culture to express your own beliefs, let alone to employ that culture within um, the the art of of persuading people towards your beliefs. Um, And we've for the most part I mean, this is the other part of that uh, that is a problem within the life of the church is that we've abandoned um, our culture, or at least the tradition of our culture. Um, hoping to find maybe new new grounds of culture or new shores of culture, or, or that we can maybe reconcile the outside culture with our own, the secular culture, whatever that is. Um, and I would say that that's a largely a failed enterprise and that we need to return to either the culture that we had that was fairly effective in its own day, or try to lift that into uh, the context of, of the world we live in today and try to employ it effectively, or to imply, try to employ a new embodiment of our culture uh, or of our creed effectively uh, into an authentic Catholic culture rather than a modern facade over the content of Catholicism, which I think is just incoherent.
0: Yeah. So for, for the 21st century, you know, as we seek to become, you know, those saints whom God is calling us to be, as we seek to give expression to the cult, right. To give expression to the, the religion, the worship of God in a, yeah, thick way that's going to give rise to certain cultural expressions or cultural forms, even as we kind of dance around in the remaining, you know, desiccated husk of the failed culture (laughs) of yesteryear. Uh, So it's an exciting prospect. And certainly these are, these are wonderful conversations to, uh, yeah, to kind of set that project in motion or to contribute to that project. So thanks so much. Uh, Your thoughts are super helpful for me. I suspect they'll be super helpful for our listeners as well. So cheers and thanks. Thanks very much.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Um, yeah, maybe just as a parting thought, if you wouldn't if you wouldn't mind, you know, just uh if you could direct our listeners who will, you know, undoubtedly want to hear more along these lines, just to some of the outlets uh where they can um yeah, have you know hear some hear some chats and, and see some videos.
2: Yeah. So my website is probably the easiest uh place uh where everything else orbits around. So that's it's just my name, Brian because that's how the internet works in Canada. Um, and then there are there are links to my Twitter and my Facebook and my YouTube, which are kind of the, the, the primary social media outlets. But but YouTube is kind of the 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 main one that I'm publishing to these days. Yeah,
1: great.
0: All right. Well, again, thanks so much, and uh, thanks again to all of our supporters. If you would like to tithe to our work, please check us out at patreoncom godsplanning. It's hard to make these announcements at the end without a mild sense of irony, but Jesus is Lord, and we'll just keep trucking. Uh, <laughs> follow us on Facebook, Amen. Twitter, and Instagram like subscribe leave a 5 star review please do visit us at godsplanning.org to shop merchandise and then to check out events past present and future know that our prayers are for you we ask that you please pray for us and we will catch you next time on godsplanning